Welcome to Live to 100, the podcast for people who want to get retirement right. Uh, I'm the closest one to retirement in the group. My name is Brett Sasso, and I'm here with two uh, young executives in my organization. I got Josh Brettmeyer and I got Brian Nicolazen, and we have a special guest with us on the phone today, and he's actually dialed in through our, our Zoom platform, which we're real excited about. Uh, we have Jimmy Morrison with us, and he is the producer, co-writer of the documentary film the bubble um jimmy thanks for coming on board today hey thanks for having me guys so we're going to have the whole show is going to be dedicated to talking to jimmy about his inspiration for the bubble there's obviously a reason why he felt this film was important i think he's a little nostradamus going on here so we're going to each kind of take a shot i know brian you're real excited because your hero peter shift is all over (laughs) that film and I'm also a big fan of Peter's. I listen to his podcast every time I drive with Brian. I get about four of his episodes in. Now I'm um, here afraid to buy a house. So. Yeah, and, and Josh just called up his realtor and said, hold off on that purchase. So, yeah, a little freak out going on for you. For me, I'm getting like, you know, ticks and, uh, you know, I'm going into a dark place like, oh, this was a bad time in my life. So, uh, so Jimmy, well, let's start right off. We want to definitely give you the most mic time here, but... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the bubble and and why you made this film. Yeah, of course. So I uh, dropped out of college in 2006 to pursue film. I started a house painting business and uh, was using the profits from that to fund my film projects. And basically, uh, it was a good way of giving me the flexibility, being uh, an entrepreneur and going out on my own, uh, to have the flexibility where if I needed to go shoot something, I could take off and go to whatever city or uh, I did a lot of video work for bands where I would go on the road, uh, especially the color pharmacy, uh, who the front man actually did the score for the documentary. Um, but anyway, so I started this house painting business in 2006, the month that house prices peaked. And so I kind of got to see firsthand uh, the unwinding of the housing bubble. And I, it didn't hurt me as much as it hurt a lot of other people, but uh, it definitely got me thinking about the impact it had on the economy and uh, everyone involved. And so I uh, decided to interview people that predicted the crash and ask them why it happened and what's next. And it started as just this little project, but I ended up driving over 35,000 miles. Wow. And I actually uh, worked on editing the film in multiple countries, just doing test screenings on the road and stuff like that. Um, so it, it became a much bigger project than I ever imagined. And How long did uh, it take you, Jimmy? How- I started shooting it back in May of 2011. My first interview was Peter Schiff back in May of 2011. Wow. So it's been a long journey, but uh, it's definitely been worth it because – uh, it, it went from being an academic pro, uh, film where, you know, people that are really into economics would have liked it. Um, but now it's something where anybody can watch it. And I think that's really important to bring these ideas to new people. I think everybody uh, should watch it. No, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah oh, so, I agree. You know, our our whole business is based on helping baby boomers. Again, I'm the baby boomer in the group. And, uh, you know, our, our whole practice right now is kind of dedicated to, the perils that we believe baby boomers of today are facing if there is another bubble coming, but you were, you know, basically documenting how that bubble back in 08 and even 2000 affected people going into retirement. And it was devastating, right? I mean, this was, uh, the, the casualties of the bubble isn't usually the big corporations. It's the individual, right? Right, right. And that's something where, uh, it's not just entrepreneurs and bankers who are affected by this. You know, everybody has been tricked into thinking that we're wealthier than we actually are. Everybody looks at their retirement portfolios and they think, oh, wow, the economy must be booming. My retirement's doing great. Uh, But the reality is that's an illusion. They've just been creating a bunch of money and bailing out banks and propping up all these failing industries. And there's just no way it can continue to go on. And uh, it's something where when the next bubble does burst, it'll be very important to look to the past and look at what happened last time so we don't continue to keep making these same mistakes. So you're basically, you've set the, uh, you know, the, the measuring stick. You say, okay, here's what happened before. I've documented it. I have the people, and I, I noticed in a couple of the interviews that, 
you know, Schiff was actually being mocked on national cable television uh, for his outrageous position of, hey, when this thing hits the fan, it's going to be horrible. Um, and it seemed like people were laughing it off. Like, what is this guy? Is he some rogue crazy man? Um, and, and it's really amazing how accurate, how absolutely accurate he was. Yeah, it is. And it's something where, you know, 20 years ago, before the dot-com bubble burst, it, you know, there were financial crises that had happened uh, in the last few decades, but it wasn't anything like what we've seen in the last 20 years. You know, they, they're just replacing a dot-com bubble with a housing bubble, yep. and now they've replaced a housing bubble with an even bigger bubble. And as we can talk about, you know, it's really affecting a lot of different industries. Um, so I, I think this is something where, it's never been more important to understand why our economy is just being built around one big bubble after an, after another, uh, because it's not just that each bubble can't go on forever. There's kind of a, a larger picture bubble that over the last few decades, uh, the United States has really uh, had a lot of growth and been able to say that uh, you know things are going going really well. But a lot of that has just been financed by creating money and borrowing money. Um, and so it's not something that can continue forever. So let's go back to 2000. Let's take a uh, bubble one and, and then I guess we can call it bubble two. Um, and then we can start talking a little bit about how these experts and, and you're documenting and, and visiting and, and filming and capturing, tying it all together is giving you some kind of, you know, obviously you're building the next one. So you're not building it, uh, not expecting a bubble, right? So you, and I know you and I had spoken a little bit before we started today that it's going to be the bubble, right? So let's go back to 2000 if we can and talk a little bit about that and and how you put it together because a lot of this film brings us through 2000 and then it kind of works quickly up to 2008. So let's talk about 2000 for a minute and maybe try to draw a couple parallels to today because I, I do believe we're closer to a 2000 bubble than we are to an 08 bubble, but I'd like your opinion on that. Yeah, that's something where, like, looking into the origins of the regulations and uh, that side of uh, the causes of the housing bubble, that did lead me to the 90s because uh, departments like uh, Housing and Urban Development, and they were doing things like the Community Reinvestment Act to force banks to uh, lend to people with low credit scores just because they were minorities. And um, also, also um, you know, the stuff that was going on with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac used to be just government agencies and the government just took all their debt and separated it and said, oh, these are now private companies, but everybody knew it was backed by the government. And so when you have that, you can have uh, banks take on all this risk because they don't care. They can just sell those mortgages to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, but anyway, so that kind of took me back into the 90s. And what I learned about the dot-com bubble uh, was uh, there's kind of this key moment called uh, Alan Greenspan's Irrational Exuberance speech. Yep. And it was, uh, I think it was 97 or 98. But um, he he basically gave the, the nod to the markets that, hey, you know, go crazy. Uh, go ahead and leverage up because the Federal Reserve has your back. And you know, if, if things get bad, the, the Federal Reserve is going to step in, even if it's just uh, a small company uh, like LTCM, we're just going to uh, intervene and create money and uh, bail out these companies and banks. Um, so it, it's something where that sent the market into a frenzy and uh, they were injecting a lot of money by lowering interest rates. Um, but then what we found was when that crashed, they, they had to just, uh, the thing they wanted to do to to stop it just created even more problems. And so they lowered interest rates down to 1% for a whole year. And then all that did was create this giant housing bubble. So they replaced one bubble with another. Um, and it, it's like you said, it's not like the next bubble is just going to be like this another housing bubble. Although I do think housing prices are uh, propped up and inflated, yep, yep. Uh, but it's something where people, people just had that, that crash. So they're not going to jump right back into that. But as we've seen, they are willing to jump into stocks, uh, particular, particularly tech stocks. So in, in 2001, just to, you know, uh, cause it's pretty interesting what you just mentioned, right? So, uh, the, the fed was willing to bail out these smaller companies, right? You know, so when that, when that did, you know, bubble did burst, um, what were the banks actually, or what was the what was the Federal Reserve doing to direct the money 
to specific companies. Did they end up bailing these companies out or just let them go? Did they do what they kind of promised or? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the particulars on LTCM uh, as far as how that worked out. But, yeah, it was more um, of a liquidity thing where they were just pumping more money into the banks. They were letting the casualties. And this is part of what I predict is going to be the problem with the, this next iteration, this next uh, whatever the next bubble is. My particular belief is it is a debt-related bubble that's coming our way. But what was happening is, yes, the casualties in 2000 were the individuals, right? It was it was hard times. It was interest rates. It was things that were affecting the individual. But no, the, the Federal Reserve wasn't going into, you know, Bob's hardware store and handing right. him a check and bailing him out. Bob was a casualty. It's like, so see you later, Bob. Well, Bob was probably trying to go to the banks to borrow money at that point, right? Correct. So the liquidity was there. But then, you know, it, it, I, I like the analogy that this is a stepping stone. So what we're saying is, the, the efforts in 2000 of government intervening into the capital markets to manipulate it was such a, um, you know, I guess a power trip. It's almost like that they just continued it and haven't lost that as their answer to everything. Is, is that kind of like the stepping stone to the housing bubble? Yeah, absolutely. And then, as I mentioned before, it was those regulations like HUD and uh, the FHA that actually directed it into housing yeah but the, obviously if you're lowering interest rates artificially by just creating a bunch of money you know the natural way would be is if everybody was saving a lot more money that would push those interest rates down and tell people that we have more resources available but instead everybody's just spending money and they're just creating money to get it down to one percent but well, you obviously know, if you're looking at a mortgage you know something that's affected by a, a 30 years of interest is going to be affected by that interest rate manipulation a lot more than something that's just like one year or five years um but as we've seen you know they're just creating so much money now that it, it doesn't matter like people uh, my age they don't have that experience of saving money for a wedding ring or saving money for a trip it's just like oh, the, the cheap credit is there and they're going to, you know, use their student loans to travel the world um, and feel like they're not going to have to pay much interest on it. So it's a, so you're a, you are a millennial. Is that correct, Jimmy? You're, uh, I'm, I'm 33, wherever that classifies. I guess that makes yeah, you a millennial, yeah, right? Yeah, you're, 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 you're right well, there with you, Jimmy. Welcome to the millennials. You're now the largest <laughs> uh, generation on the planet because we baby boomers lost the, uh, that distinguished designation to you millennials. So, but what I like about this is, is this is a perspective of look back from somebody who's younger. You know, I, I would tell the same story that you are telling in, in this movie. Um, and it's, it's a, it's something I lived through. So when I watch it, it's all in the news. This isn't like a, a story. I lived through this whole thing. And now we have millennials here that are looking at it and it, it's great because it's a little bit grounding for these guys. You know, they, they don't, really and i say it all the time here and it's like i'm the old guy and i'm not that old but you know when they hear me talk about yeah you couldn't get a job you couldn't sell a house you couldn't borrow money for a car you know when when this thing imploded it affected so many people and you know when lehman went bankrupt it was like the tv when that came on the news like oh my god the world's about to collapse this is unbelievable this is this is like you know 9-11 all over again you have your mortgage with I had my mortgage. I don't know if you caught this in your research, Jimmy, but I had my mortgage with Washington Mutual, which yeah, at the time was yeah. one of the largest banks in the United States. That basically went out of business in 24 hours. That was a Hank Paulson, you know, chop and, and spread. And he basically pushed it over to Chase in my position. But I think some of it got divided up to others. IndyMac, you know, uh, Wachovia Bank. The, the, right. It was the beginning of over, what, 400 and something bank failures? Yeah, and the Federal Reserve behind the scenes was basically deciding which banks they were going to let fail, Overnight. which ones they were going to hand to which company, and yep, this... they give you know billions of dollars to one company to buy another bank, and then uh, they uh, Henry Paulson, the Treasury Secretary, would go to uh, Congress and ask for seven hundred billion dollars for TARP for the bank bailouts, and everybody was outraged about that, rightfully so. 
But what we found out later was the Federal Reserve was doing over a trillion, far over a trillion dollars in secret bailouts, even of foreign banks that nobody even knew about until years later because uh, Bloomberg News sued them to get the information. And so it's funny. They go out and they they brag, oh, look at Morgan Stanley survived the crash or whatever. We we gave them, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers, like 15 or 20 billion dollars for TARP and we saved them or whatever. Uh, But behind the scenes, they were getting like 100 billion dollars from the Federal Reserve. Right. And so it's just like it's not even a. A, a debate that was happening in public. It was just all these things happening behind the scenes. Well, and that's why uh, the TARP numbers almost look low. I mean, they're huge, yeah, but, right. but, <laughs> but but this but guy, at the time at the time they were unprecedented. Right. You know, the the size of TARP, nobody could believe they were going to spend all that money. Right, and it was it was only and, a, a portion of it. And right. you guys have to understand right. the rapid fireness of this. Like you would hear this on a Friday. Hank Paulson was pulling these deals off on long weekends. And this wasn't yeah. this wasn't a traditional this was a crisis this was war and Hank Paulson not the president of the United States Hank Paulson who the president of the United States strongly relied on because of his expertise he was a Wall Street guy um, I forget Paulson came from where did he come from Goldman or something Yeah he was CEO at Goldman Yeah so he came from Goldman Sachs and next thing you know he's running the treasury I I personally I don't know your your opinion on your research and I'd like to know Jimmy but I credit Paulson for kind of saving the planet um, the way he did it, because I don't know that too many other people in, in his post could have done what he did as fast as he did. That needed a that was the need for a businessman. Right. That was a CEO of, of a massive just uh, directing. It, it was a businessman running it. It wasn't, you know, well, I, it, yeah, it, if the goal is to uh, prop things up and keep things going he did uh, make yeah. that happen but but as we saw that just centralized power with bigger banks and now with all these regulations they've added on in the last decade the smaller banks have really struggled and so it's really just created a much worse situation that we have to deal with now so, so they it, said they were too big to fail before but now they're just they made them bigger farmer. yeah they made them yeah. bigger but i guess the idea if i was paulson i'd say okay listen i could put out these fires but i can't stamp out the embers and if, if you let the oxygen blow on the embers again, we're going to have this fire again, and it could be even bigger and worse. So I, I don't totally disagree, and I'm not an economist. by I'm not Peter Schiff by any means. I'm not even in their ballpark, but I am a logical business person. I think it did have to extinguish the flames because we had no idea how deep the pit could have been and what the impact could have been. But for Christ's sakes, why wouldn't we start fixing it from that point? I think it just added more instead embers. Instead of putting more wood on top right right i think the other thing that's happening now too is people are artificially in their own mind saving through via the uh, wall street they're dumping money there they think that that's yo, that's my savings but they don't actually have a savings and when that bubble does burst it's there's nothing there for them. you know jimmy i loved in your movie one one particular thing because i talked about it this year uh, you know, Bailey savings and loan, right? Or uh, what was it? The Wonderful Life. Um, mm-hmm. That is is epic in this conversation because it actually was telling you a history lesson of what happened. You know, the run on right. the banks. So this is where people brought their money to the banks, and he was trying to explain to them, no, no, your money's not here. Your money's over there. But at least it was someplace that they could walk down the street and touch Mister Jones's house and say, okay, my money's here. I'm okay, but it, it was still irrational and and panic that put the run on Bailey's bank, you know. So, and by the way, uh, when Bailey was looking for money, um, old man Potter said, "How much cash value life insurance do you have, Mister Bailey?" <laughs> it was the only thing that had value back then for him, you know. It wasn't real yeah. estate, so uh, so I do yeah, like actually- how you put that. Thanks, thanks. That's actually my favorite cut in the movie because it it cuts from this iconic scene of, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart, this classic American, like everybody, oh, sympathize with the banker who, who, you know, they they think we should bail out or whatever. And he's trying to explain, oh, we've lent out all this money. You can't come get your money back. Uh, And then we cut straight from that to South Park. Yep. I love the South Park. And the kid in South Park is just like, uh, what? Where's my hundred dollars? Calling BS on the situation, which is uh, what South Park is great, great for doing. That was awesome. I don't even know how you did it. I I just. uh... The, the library of thoughts and, and how you stitched it all together. And exactly to go from George Bailey to South Park was just awesome. How, the way you did it. Where's my hundred dollars? I mean, and the people you interviewed were incredible. 
to see on here and to see their perspective. You know, people telling this story, no one believing them, even, even Ron Paul. Now, some of the, right. the the people that you featured in the movie, and again, anybody listening to this podcast, um, you know, we'll, we'll give out how to, uh, if you want to get the DVD, or you can even get a code, right? You can get a code from you, Jimmy. Obviously, I, I know the production costs and the time you put into this, and you should be, you know, you should be able to get compensated for this. Uh, how could somebody get this film quickly? How could they get it online or, or do... Because my problem was Brian gave me the DVD. I went home and I said, what the hell did I do with this thing? Um, I tried putting it in the toaster. It didn't work. And I, I said, wow, I, I really am getting old. These things aren't around anymore. I didn't have a freaking DVD player. And try to put one in your Surface Pro. There's not even a slot near big enough for one. So how can somebody get this film? Um, obviously, people that listen to this podcast, uh, I know we, we felt so strong about it. Brian I came in one day and said, hey, let's buy a box of these things and give them out for people at Christmas time. Um, you know, ho, 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 yeah, Brian. Great. Greatly uh, appreciated that. <laughs> no, and it's cool. And, and we have them and, and we are giving them out. Uh, we obviously don't charge anything. We give them to people. Um, so anyone listening to this podcast, we have about 20 left in our inventory. And if you want to ask for one of those from us, we're happy to give it to you. Um, typically, you know, we have about 10,000 people now that are in our distribution to the podcast. We don't know who's listening to it anymore. Uh, we went on our, uh, I, I heart media carries our podcast and we don't really have that following thing. Like you get on, on, uh, whatchamacallit YouTube. So if you share it or somebody shares this, we don't know how many people now we just have our, our database of people that respond to our messaging. What's the best way to get one of these DVDs or a streaming uh, code from you, Jimmy? Yeah, so our website is thebubblefilms.com, um, or people can go to my production company's site, letusdisagree.com. And either either place, you can get the film digitally or on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, it's $10 either way, and then it's just $3 for shipping if you want a physical copy. Um, but the easiest way digitally is uh, most people will have the Vimeo app, um, on their device, yep. uh, you know, if you have an Apple TV or Roku or anything, you can get the Vimeo app, and that's really the best way for filmmakers to get their movie to you. Um, iTunes takes a thirty percent cut, and Amazon takes a fifty percent cut, uh, but Ooh. Vimeo only Jesus. takes a ten percent cut. So, all right, let's go uh, with Vimeo then. Forget all the yeah, others. So the only place the to bubble. get this video, the only <laughs> yeah. way you're going to get this movie is go to Vimeo because we support the arts here. Um, so tell right. us how you do that for those that, and remember our audience is the, uh, maybe the less technically savvy baby boomer than me. Um, so they're going to yeah, go to Vimeo. So, you know, I tried to do this on my big screen TV and I got so frustrated trying to type on a remote control. Yeah, um, that's so, the worst. yeah, so, so to walk us through that, let's make sure people can get this thing if they're hearing this. Cause, uh, typically yeah, you're course. listening with a phone in hand and your remote co control might not be too far away. So how do you do it? Right. So uh, if you have a Roku or an Apple TV or a smart TV, you just search for Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. And then once you have that app, if you don't already have it, you just search for the bubble and you can go ahead and pay for it for 10 bucks and get the film. And then you can always have it uh, on any device, on a computer. Uh, you can download it. Um, and even if you want to come back and get it 20, 30 years from now, you'll be able to get it. Now, Jimmy, um, I had a problem when I did the bubble search because there's other bubbles out there. Um, yeah, you don't want to get the other film. Yeah, so is there is there a, <laughs> a, an icon or a way that they could look and know it's yours? Could, could they put in yeah, the bubble our, with our your name or something to make sure they get the right one? Yeah, they can do that. Or uh, our, our movie poster is pretty recognizable. It's a combination of uh, Bill Clinton and George Bush's face. Yeah, that's brilliant, by the way. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I actually yeah. just yeah. gave it to a client today, and he stared. He said, is this George Bush or Bill Clinton? Yes. So, uh, oh, yes. Man, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's we, a, uh, phenomenal. We we actually were hoping to have the film out a few years earlier, as I mentioned. And so we premiered a teaser at Freedom Fest back in 2012. Freedom Fest is this uh, giant uh, conference in Vegas uh, where there's free market people from uh, ranging from libertarians to Republicans, but like people like Steve Forbes and Peter Schiff are there. Um, and we, we premiered our teaser there and it was just amazing. We had our, our poster and flyers and every single person just stares at that image and really <laughs> laughing, basically, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, no, it's really cool. It didn't work with Obama, huh? 
Uh, so we have an, another version with uh, Bush and Obama, but I didn't want to. Since no, Obama more, has too big of ears. It's not going to work. Well, he, 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 since since his role was more uh, uh, post two thousand eight, I didn't want to like tack him on like, oh, we're we're bashing Obama about the creation of the housing bubble because really what he's guilty of is creating this next bubble. And so even though he supported all the policies that led to the housing bubble, it was really more of a story of Clinton and Bush. Um, but with this next film, we'll have posters with uh, Bush and Obama and Obama and Trump. And uh, we, we have uh, ones that we're working on with Federal Reserve Chairman as well. So we can have a Greenspan Bernanke one. Uh, that'll be a good one. Man, if you could get Trump's hair on any other face, I'd love to see <laughs> that one. That's going to be a good that's that's a Photoshop disaster on in the makings. All right. So let's yeah, let's okay. roll this a little bit forward now. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend and obviously we bought the box where we're giving them out. We're asking for feedback. We just had a client stop by today who we've actually asked to join us. We have a client who, uh, and I know you don't know much about what we do, but we make massive retirement blueprints. And um, when we do this, we try to take every financial part of a person's life from their current age through their age 100. And our calculator that we do this on is like a gigantic spreadsheet. And we actually have a, a massive uh, blueprinting machine in our building here. And when we print these out to have meetings or to discuss with the client, they'll often measure anywhere between 24 inches on the height, and they can be as wide as seven, eight feet long. So they're, they're really impressive when you see, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. So the, the idea that we have to get people to wake up to think that that last 10 years of all of this, this uh, QE components and compounding of dollars that have come through the system this isn't because we're producing more and shipping things out of the country better than we've ever done. This is just bulk money that was just poured into a system. Uh, it's almost like dropping a whole bunch of pool balls on a pool table, and it takes a little while before all the pool balls ends up in, in holes. So, you know, this was trillions of dollars that was just literally dumped into the system. And, and you said it in the film or one of your, your interviews or one of the snips basically talked about how, you know, I think it was Bernanke and they're saying, you know, hey, we just dumped a ton of money and we didn't know where it was going to land, but we figured it would land someplace. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much right. what they are saying, right? Right, right. And well, and a, a, an important thing that we really get into in the second film is the entire time they were uh, creating all this money to buy uh, government debt and to buy mortgage debt to bail out these banks, um, they were bailing out the government and bailing out the banks. And the entire time they said, don't worry, we're going to go back to the levels we were at before. We're going to mm. sell off all this debt. And the people in our film were saying, now, hold on, you're, you're claiming you're just going to sell off hundreds of billions of dollars of mortgage debt. And that's not going to just crash the housing market. And they're like, no, we're going to be able to do it. We're going to be able to do it. And they kept delaying it and creating more and more until now we're uh, trillions of dollars later. And just in these last few years, you know, they tried to let interest rates go back up a little bit. They started selling off just a little bit of those and they had to backtrack. And now they're creating a bunch of money and uh, putting it in the repo markets. And it's 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 interesting that it's kind of an interesting time right now where they've already started bailing out the banks for this next crash. Uh, but the market and the general uh Main Street has no idea that this seems to be going on, or at least they've uh, not priced it in. And that's um, that's Peter Schiff's big thing. He, you know, he's always talking about how you know he he says Bernanke when he said that he was going to unwind this had never he knew it was never going to be able to happen. Um, yeah. and it was, I guess that's part of the reason why there's been this confidence, if you will, to continue to to push the markets up because. Uh, you know, at least in the beginning, because, hey, this is temporary, you know, so uh, it's going to get unwound. So let's just keep keep the, you know, the pedal down and, and keep the money going in. And uh, I think maybe if the American public had known that this wasn't a or not even the American public, right? The foreign countries knew that this was that it wasn't temporary, uh, that it was going to be a permanently expanded balance sheet that maybe they wouldn't have played ball with us. Well, look at as what they, they just recently did, too, with the SECURE Act, right? They pushed people out to 72 baby boomers of taking their retirement dollars out of the market. So that's pushing people into the market. They're encouraging people to put money in past 70 now. 
So they're yeah. just putting a little Band-Aid on it. And so let's 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 have the movie maker tell us how this is how he envisions it, right? Because you've got to have vision to build video. You can't start with a blank canvas. You've got to know what the picture is supposed to look like at the end. And I'm sure, you know, when you have history as a look back, you can start with where you want to go back and you know what the image is at the end. Tell me how the filmmaker starts preparing for the next bubble. Um, what are you doing now? And I, I know you tease us with this next film. Um, well, what do you do now? What do you do when the when the history hasn't been written yet? Yeah, that does get a little bit harder. Um, so we actually first envisioned the project as like a four part miniseries, and so I wrote the whole four part miniseries and then tried to condense it down into a feature version where I could have this one feature documentary, but then if people wanted to learn more, they could watch the extended edition, essentially. Um, and I was never able to get it down into that one movie. And so what I did was I split it right down the middle. And so the first film that you've seen is actually just the first two episodes of those original oh, four episodes. Um, and so I kind of had this script already uh, for the second movie, um, but it's definitely evolved. And, uh, you know, Trump kind of threw a, a wrench in there as a little bit of a wild card. Um, yeah. But really, it's it's funny, you know, his campaign, he, he was calling out that it was a bubble and the Federal Reserve was just keeping interest rates down. And then as soon as he gets in power, of course, he's just like, oh, the Federal Reserve <laughs> isn't pushing interest rates down enough. They need to create more money. And it, Well, we, we know... We're New Yorkers, right? So we know Trump was a debt businessman. He was a guy whose timing right. worked. He got into big trouble. He was able to go to the banks, similar to what happened with the housing disaster. He just had it on a on a micro level in New York City where he got himself over leveraged with casinos and airlines. And, you know, his timing was off. But he was the guy that could go to the banks with the gun in hand and say, you know, I need this. And the banks would say, well, what the hell are we going to do if this guy goes belly up? You know, we're going to take a loss here. Right. But his timing was perfect. He was able to come out of it because the real estate market did catch fire and his bad bets started to turn into good bets, right? Right. So yeah, the, and, uh, it, it'd be interesting to see what his career would have been like if there wasn't a Federal Reserve creating money and injecting it. He would banks. not be where he is today. <laughs> he, he, and if he, didn't have enough gun, if he didn't have enough hostages, which he did at the time, they would have buried him. And I'm not a Trump supporter or a Trump hater. I'm, I'm a, I'm a diehard been an independent since I'm 18 years old. I try to stay in the center lane and I, I agree with some of the things on the left and I agree with a lot of the things on the right. But what I really believe in is, is accountability and logic. You know, there has to be logic in what we have. So let's talk about this, this potential bubble coming. I'd like your, you've had so much uh, research done on the prior bubbles what are you leaning towards as the next bubble? What do you think it's going to be? Well, I think um, the one thing that I've learned the most from this, you know, I thought I was going to go out there and just uh, be able to get all the answers. But the one thing that I've learned the most is that nobody really knows. And even the people in the film, uh, they kind of have a, a track record of going out and predicting things. But what they're actually saying is that there are consequences to these policies that we've been talking about. And they're not saying, oh, you know, uh, in three months and four days, those consequences will play out. They're just saying that, you know, it puts the economy on an unsustainable path. And like we show in the film, uh, it, it influences entrepreneurs to maybe making uh, bad decisions and it, it makes uh, us as consumers make bad decisions. Um, but so I, I think the, the, the big takeaway from the film uh, is really that nobody knows, but we need to stop doing these things because they're creating all these problems and it, it creates an environment where how are you supposed to plan for your retirement when, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, nobody would have guessed that that's what interest rates would have done the last 20 years because nobody was privy to what the Federal Reserve was going to do. Right. Um, so I think uh, pensions and uh, retirement funds are something that are actually going to be kind of a, a crucial part of this next crash, at, at least the consequences of the crash. Mm. As the market goes down, um, you know, people are, are going to have to wake up and realize they're going to have to do something else with their money. And guess who uh, the government is where people go as a safe haven. It's where do you go? You know, all of the countries around the world are creating money at unprecedented rates. Um, it's, it's literally just kind of going back and forth between a crash in Europe, a crash in Asia, you know, a crash in the U S it's, 
it, it's kind of a, a cluster that nobody can uh, can 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 manage. So let's talk um, about so the potential cow card out of the market. Yeah, let's talk about the casualties in the next bubble. So let's say that I think it's safe to say the equities are, are pretty inflated right now, right? We're looking at um, average PE in in uh, the S and P is running over thirty some odd percent. You know the 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 right. earnings to a company's price is just outrageous right now. It's uh, I I don't know if ten or twelve percent is their times time, yeah. is is the number that we should be looking at. But we're way over that, especially if we get into our Fang stocks. And by the way, you can't even do it for Uber because they haven't got an earnings yet to worry right. about, right? So um, let's talk about the casualties. Is the retiree? Is the baby boomer? who's got all their eggs in the basket of the equity market right now, which is in itself, no one's doubting that that's a bubble at this point. Hell, it even looks right. like a bubble when you look at it on a chart, right? You can't get more inflated and higher, you know, irrationally as it's become. But who's going to bail us out? Who's going to who's gonna take the, the retiree and bail them out? It's not like a bank's failing. It's not like, a, you know, an insurance company's failing. It's the individual who comes to their aid. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a great point. I think uh, the that it's kind of like the student loan th- uh, issue, where students don't typically—they're not the ones that are going to get the uh, direct bailout, or they may, depending on who the next president is, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it's probably going to happen regardless. Um, but uh the banks are the ones that the federal reserve is going to give the money to and the uh the federal government and so it it's they're they they are the ones who are going to get the money first and yes it does kind of enter the economy through different ways um but it really matters who gets the money first before prices go up so i want to give you uh i want to give you an image for your next film so i could say maybe i had an influence on it so 2019 our our national debt the interest on the national debt was somewhere in the area of 500 billion dollars right the numbers are all over the place i've heard 390 billion i've heard 540 billion let's just round it into a nice even 500 billion dollars so that 500 billion dollars uh there was a recent image of when we were really flexing our muscles with iran and trump sent that picture out of the uh the new f-35 fighters in uh in utah did you see that picture yeah so that was the elephant walk right they were talking about you know holy cow this is what russia used to do the united states just put out these third uh, they were 90 million dollars so i looked it up each one of those jets is 90 million dollars so here's a visual for you the 540 or 500 billion dollars that we spent on interest could have bought almost six thousand of those fighter jets How's that for like tying something you can't understand to something that you can understand? First of all, it's yeah. outrageous to think a jet costs ninety million dollars, but then to think for what we burned in interest last year, we could own six thousand of them. Instead, wow. we yeah, had that is a great visual. Oh my and god! It, it's kind of an interesting uh, 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 item of spending because uh, Bernie Sanders actually supports building more of those because in Vermont uh, it creates jobs by. <laughs> Uh, keep, keeping that the military industrial complex. Yeah, a little World War II mentality. Let's just build these <laughs> ridiculous things that cost so much money. We have enough of them to wipe the world out. What do we got to wipe out Mars next? I think right. what's what's right. also scary about this next bubble is it's going to happen so fast because of social media. You know, one person yeah, panics. Yeah, this it's going to be crazy. Yeah, It'll if I decide days, I'm getting days. out and I put a post out and my seven friends read it and then their seven friends read it literally around the world in no time at all. And I go back and I've said this even on, in, in other conversations, Orson Welles did war of the worlds. You know, that was something at the time was just like a a panic. And it was one guy on a radio show that was just kind of spoofing people. But imagine when, when the fear hits social media, the run on the banks, what happens when we have a run on stocks? What happens they can close the markets, but that's not going to make anybody more comfortable the day they open them. You know, what are they going to do? They have a, I think it used to be 10% down electronic trading stops. 10% down right now is 2,300 points, right? Can you imagine 2,300 points? Well, I 2900. do. 2,900. I, yeah, I can remember 800 points falling, but the market <laughs> wasn't where it is today. So, yeah, 2,800 points, right? Well, no. Yeah. 
29. One thing I want to point out is it's really dangerous to short the market, even though we know that it's this unsustainable bubble, because we have no idea if one day the Federal Reserve is going to announce hundreds of billions of dollars that they're just going to inject directly into the market. In Japan, they've actually had their central bank buy bank uh, buy stocks in the stock market, and they've talked about it here. Yeah. And you know, Trump is talking about having more regulations to uh, encourage people to invest in the stock market, and it's just uh, it. it I, I I'll be the first person to say there's a, a huge bubble, but I'm not going to be the first person to jump in and start shorting it. Not with no. the Federal Reserve out there. I mean, look at Tesla. Three weeks, two right, weeks ago. Right, the people shorting Tesla. It was like watching right cryptocurrency in right. three days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you listened to Sovereign Man, you would have been short in Tesla and lost everything. Yeah. You'd still be right. holding on, trying to get yeah, out. Yeah, that's, that's the tough part And you know, for us, and we're in the retirement planning space, um, you know, because our clients ask us all the time, every one of them, well, what's going to happen in the market? When's it going to go down? When's it... And it's just like, well, you have no answer. I think I heard somebody on the radio recently said uh, it's going to go up until it doesn't. And I think that yeah. was one of the best ways you could say it. Hey, Jamie, I'll give you another one that I, I bumped into when I was doing the radio program. I, I contacted, I, I was trying to figure out what was going to, would it happen again, right? I said, we had 2000, we had 2008, and are people foolish enough to have it happen again? So I was looking for either validation or, and I, I knew the answer was yes, it will absolutely happen again, but I was trying to look for some kind of science or psychology behind it. There's a, there's a professor uh, out at Berkeley uh, who dedicated his entire career towards trying to understand the behavior of investors. I think this is going to be a really important part of your, your next uh, iteration in your movie. Uh, his name is Terrence Odeen. And he basically was trying to understand the behavior of investors and why they do what they do. And this is critically important in our business, because when we did have that little attempt to start reducing the balance sheet back last year in what was it, January, and the markets just totally let everybody know you're not doing that, you know, and we lost a thousand points in just like a day or so went nuts. And then that's when all of a sudden the Fed decided to start listening to uh, Trump and saying we need no, zero interest rates. But this this professor did an incredible job at telling us why people will do this again. Uh, he uses the word disposition effect, and we've kind of um, expanded on his research and, and what he talks about, and we've adapted it into the behavior of the baby boomer and their million-dollar, $2 million 401k. And you know, when we talk about it here, we say, hey, if you've got a, a statement in front of you that says your 401k has a million dollars in it, and then we have a bump like we did back in 18, and you look at the statement and it's down to $800,000, the knee-jerk reaction is not to get out. You know what the knee-jerk reaction is? I want my million bo- my, my million dollars back. By, by the dip. Or I just, yeah, I'm right. going to wait. Or stay uh, out, I'm not right. getting out. I want my, I want my other 200,000 back because people actually right. believe that what's on those statements is theirs. You said it earlier. That's not there. It doesn't exist. It's air. And that's what's inside yeah. bubbles. Most bubbles are filled with air. Your 401k statement. If you're listening to this program today, this is so important to understand that 401k statement is not yours. You can't go spend that money tomorrow. And if everybody goes to George Bailey at the Wall Street Bank and says, hey, I'd like to cash in my stock, it's not there. It's not your money yet until you're able to sell it. That's different. You know, that's something that they're not prepared for. So the idea with the disposition effect is, you know, if I bought Apple stock four years ago and I sold it and I doubled my money, I'm going to talk about that every time I go play golf and how I kicked Apple's butt, made a lot of money on the stock. But what people don't talk about is when Apple stock gets up to where it is and was, and it may never go back to that, they'll hold it and hold it and hold it on the way down because they want their money back. So for that reason, part of the the manifestation of this bubble that I believe is the equity markets and the debt instruments that the country has just been pouring all over the world, it's going to destroy, it's going to destroy the want and the lifestyle that baby boomers are anticipating because they don't have that money, but they're already thinking they got it in the bank for retirement. Right. Yeah. I think corporate debt and government debt and student loans 
uh, car loans. It, these are all things that are going to be affected. And, and it's something where uh, when when the rules of the game can change at any moment, it's really hard to, to manage your retirement. I don't know how you guys do these plans, but um, like take my grandpa, for example, he owned a bunch of uh, he worked for General Motors and uh, he was uh, retired when the crash happened last mm. time, but he had a bunch of secured bonds and uh, Barack Obama literally just, this had never been done before. He just changed contract law and said, I'm going to take these secured bondholders and instead of paying them out uh, like they should be, uh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to just give their ownership in the company to the union. So the unions uh, gave him you know, all this money to get uh, spent on his campaign and get elected. And then he just shifts all this wealth and ownership over to these people. And, you know, my grandpa didn't expect interest rates to be like this or the market to be like this. Mm. And he saved for his retirement. He was able to, uh, to have enough savings to make it work, but it's scary now because people don't have that savings. And so something small like that really wipe somebody out. Yeah, it's it's part of what we're trying to insulate and and give people, but that we're fighting we're fighting it every single day. We had a gentleman on the call last night, and and uh, he he just does not. He just kept saying, "Well, you know, I'm going to compound my eight percent each year for the next forty years, forty years, and make uh, forty million dollars." And we're we're like thinking, "Wait a minute, this gentleman controls other people's money. If this is what he's thinking, what are the clients right. thinking?" And it's it's very scary. So we, we've done about an hour, and you've been really gracious with your time, Jimmy. And I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we are creating a new series. It's called Live to 100. It's an aspirational series that will be likely anchored on one network, but we're going to retain ownership of it so that we could actually push it everywhere we want, YouTube, Netflix, uh, and also scatter it around the other networks. We're, we're going to try to film at least uh, between six and nine episodes over the next two years, and it's it's basically chronicling the baby boomers and what they're going to be faced with and trying to get the people that we uh, feature in each of the episodes to find the reality of this. And I can honestly say that we'd like to, to work with you on one of these shows because uh, the shows that we do, they won't just air once. It won't be a lightning strike. Um, if we have an episode where we're trying to help a person understand the market is not there forever and it's not cash, and we need to do a look back. You might be the person that we want to go to with some of your footage and talk about your film on one of the shows as a wake up call to get people to realize, oh, that really did happen. Yeah, I kind of remember that now, but it's been so damn good for the last 11 years. Um, when we yeah, when we I'd, we make I'd be that happy to help guys. Yeah, when we yeah, make that, that episode, uh, it actually will air literally, you know, not on the same channel at the same time. But it'll be available. Our goal is to make sure that every baby boomer will bump into it at some time on some channel on some day. So the episode might pay. It might go on two or three hundred times over the next twenty-four to thirty-six months. So it's uh, it's something I'd like to talk to you outside of the podcast channel. But uh, I think it would be great. I think your footage is is incredibly valuable. Um, and if I can use you and, and give more exposure to what you're saying, it's going to help us out because we're we're putting up the sign that says help here. And you're saying, go get help. So uh, I think yeah, the two right, messages exactly. really are, are really well together. So. All right. All right. I don't I don't have the answers. I'm, I'm the guy that gets to just cry wolf. And All right. So you, you guys get to explain. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're doing a good job at bringing it together. You're, you're doing it in, in the form of video with other people it's not somebody's opinion you're 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 basically putting fact and the people that said it into a, a coherent way and stitching it together brilliantly in, in an hour uh the film is called the bubble it's by uh jimmy morrison is there another uh, writer you want to credit on this oh of course yeah i co-wrote the film with tom woods he's a new york times best-selling author uh, he doesn't work for the New York Times. He just was on their list. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he's an incredible uh, historian who wrote the book Meltdown, uh, which was the, kind of the first book uh, to come out about the crash right after it happened. It, it explained uh, what led up to it. And so he was just uh, an enormous help. And I should also mention some of the people in the film. Uh, we had uh, some legendary investors like Jim Rogers and Mark Faber and Doug Casey, 
Um, and then, like you mentioned, Peter Schiff. Um, but we also had a lot of incredible economists like Robert Murphy and uh, Joseph Salerno, who's somebody that's actually who I learned economics from. I would listen to his economic lectures from Iowa, even though he was a professor in New York, um, just because you can get all this stuff for free online now. Uh, it's kind of an amazing time to be alive. Um, but then the other big name I got to mention is Ron Paul is in the film, of course. Yeah, fantastic job. He, he, he really was. He has always been so far ahead of uh of the curve you know and again another person who's been ridiculed and mocked but when you look back when you look back to where you captured it he's spot on he was spot on yeah and he's somebody where when he would talk back in the 2012 campaign and 2008 campaign you know he'd he'd go off on all these little tangents and stuff and people like oh what's this guy talking about you know like uh I, i have no idea what this guy's talking about he's just ranting or whatever but when you actually watch the film and are able to see these ideas presented in a structured, coherent way where you have the context where he's just assuming you know about all these right, things. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I guess yeah, that was his mistake. Well, <laughs> you actually watch the film and <laughs> Bretton Woods means something um, uh, when he says these little things. It's really, it gives you a much greater appreciation for what he did. And I, I, I really think uh, the film wouldn't uh, even exist if it wasn't for uh, the education, the work he did educate, educating people. And I don't even think his work as a politician is really uh, that important compared to the work that he did in just teaching people about economics. Fantastic. Again, the name of the film is The Bubble. Uh, the cover is cool. It's a, it's a really interesting picture of uh, Bill Clinton and George Bush stitched together. Makes you look at it for a few minutes and uh, say, wow, that's really two people, not one. Uh, Jimmy Morrison, the producer, the developer, co-writer of this film. Uh, we have about 20 of these left here. In, and obviously, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but if you want to give us a, a shout, why don't you uh, send an email? Who wants to take the emails yeah, on you, this? You can to uh, go you. to retirementarchitecture.com. Uh, there's always a place you can put your information in. And, and we'll just give you a call. Um, yeah. Or you can, you can email us at info at retirementarchitecture.com. Right. And we'll give you the what we have here for free. We're not, you know, this is what we want to do is get this information out. But if we are unable to give you one, we'll send you a link. So either way, instead of trying to remember this, here's the best thing to do. Go to retirementarchitecture.com, put in for getting a free blueprint, unless I can put something up or have something for, you know, hey, I want to get a copy of the video. Uh, But for now, if you're listening to this, we're going to publish this out in the morning. I believe by tomorrow this will be out. Uh, if if we run out, we will send you a link to the Vimeo where you can go. Uh, I said the video, the Vimeo. Is that like the Facebook? Holy crap. <laughs> I can't believe you said go to Vimeo app. And this way you can find the film. You can watch it. We encourage you to. It's going to be part of this whole idea of how to construct a retirement that is is going to be what you want it to be. And again, don't expect retirement to just happen. You've got to build a plan, build a blueprint. Let us help you have the vision of what retirement should be, stay away from the pitfalls, build bridges over the crevices, save your money, protect yourself and your family, uh, retirement architecture. That's what we're all about. Jimmy, thank you for coming on thanks today. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Guys, thanks for helping me out today yeah, in the thanks, studio. Guys. It was my pleasure. It was fantastic. Thanks, Jimmy.